nobody knows what anesthesiologists do. We work side by side, shoulder to shoulder, and still don't know. And because of that, we unfortunately would bear the short end of the stick. And that's also why we get blamed because it's like, it must be you because it wasn't me. And I don't know what you do, but I'm going to say it's you, you know? (laughs) Are you curious about, interested in, or working within the field of anesthesiology and you are a woman, person of color, or otherwise do not fit the stereotypical image of what an anesthesiologist looks like? then this is the podcast for you. We will discuss what life is like on the other side of the blue drape for us. Issues most relevant, such as what is anesthesia really? And we're not talking textbook definition. Tips for applying, success in residency, life as an attending and beyond. Join us each week as we take a dive into this rich and often misunderstood field. This is your host, Dr. Alicia Peterson, and welcome Welcome to Sivo Sisters. Sisters. This is Dr. Alicia Peterson, your host, and you are about to listen to part two of my interview with Dr. Michelle DeCosta, an adult and pediatric cardiac anesthesiologist who specializes in adults with congenital heart lesions. She also has an MBA, is starting up multiple businesses, and she's active politically within the organizations and her state board. She has helpful tips, whether you're a trainee or an attending, how to get the most out of your position as an anesthesiologist and life. Please enjoy. Own challenges. You've mentioned yourself throughout your career, geographically, how you've changed. And even the models of practice you were in have changed. What recommendations yet do you give for for those of us in the field who feel like you're starting to get burned out? Yeah, um, that's a great question. And I feel like all fields of medicine have their challenges. Um, Some of ours are unique with our practice style, a lot of political things, legislations, reimbursements, things like that. A lot of those things are out of your control. But my advice to you is don't be married to a job. Mm -hmm. If you're unhappy, Um, But you're like, oh, you know, your mentors say, you know, you should tough it out or you should, you know, no job is perfect. I truly believe you can get pretty close to a perfect job. So I wouldn't settle. Um, That's my biggest advice. And life's too short. You know, if you're not happy, you need to go somewhere and do something that makes you happy. And secondly, I think to make yourself um, irreplaceable in our field is I am a big advocate for one, doing a fellowship and two, doing something that's going to help you with your life, you know, mid-career and career in terms of leadership, making changes. So whether you get your MBA, whether you get your MPH, any kind of management or leadership training you can do which you can take from your institution to another location. A lot of times they offer courses, things like that, that if you wanted to take with you to another place, they wouldn't recognize it. Make sure it's a formalized training program because you're going to need that certificate because you may not always be at that location. And we all get older, medicine's evolved, and it's turned into a business. You want to be at that table involved in those changes representing yourself in your best interests. 
Um, I can't tell you how many hospitals are run by mid-level providers that are NPs, PAs that have gotten their MBA, done this, done that in leadership, and have all this training outside of their clinical experience, and they're moving up in the ranks in the hospital and making decisions about your practice in your field. So if you want to be involved, you got to have a seat at the table, and you're going to need that documentation, that training to get yourself to that table. I did mention in your introduction that you do have an MBA and you were insightful enough to know that that was going to be a value to you while you were a trainee. At what point did you know in your training that this was something that you should be looking at? Because you've already have in your mind that you're going to do this super specialized niche. What made you say, hey, I need to distinguish myself even more? Way our generation is, we're involved in so many things now. People, I have peers from high school or from college that are, you know, out there in Silicon Valley, starting startups, doing this, doing that, going into finance, seeing how they can protect their, their financial investments. They can double their investments. And I'm just like, medicine is great. That's my day job, but I want to expand from that. I want to, What happens if I have an injury where I can't practice anymore? What am I going to do? So that was kind of my thought. And again, I was working so hard as a fellow studying for boards. I was like, this is hard. And when I finish my training, I don't want to study again. I want to be at that point where I'm done with my training, done with my exams and able to utilize my training and my degree. So I figure, you know what? Do it while I'm a fellow take my boards, my first set of boards, and then started the program, did it in 18 months, and just get it all done because I'm in this study mode. And I'm glad I did it when I was a trainee because you're so used to just every day reading something, every day studying something. And once you get into practice, you have other challenges like managing the schedule, your personal life, things like that. And I think, I don't know how I would be able to balance being an attendant and you know, doing an MBA or things like that. The MBA, how has that helped in your career now? So not really utilizing my MBA quite yet. I'm on some committees. Um, I'm on the QI committee right now. So that's, you know, one of the areas of my interest. But I do want to get involved in being a site manager for some of the hospitals and be involved in some of the policy and some of the managerial things. And then again, I see myself in leadership roles, whether it's, you know, chief of staff, chief of surgery, things like that. And what's nice about private practice is you kind of are involved in it because you, your group is your representatives. There's not a chair for the department. There's somebody in your group who's on this committee, who's on that committee. So it's kind of easy to get involved in management and leadership that way. And, you know, having my background, they know I have that background. They know I have that interest. So, you know, I'm kind of that next up person at this point. And having that background has been very helpful for my personal finances, being involved in, you know, um, joining, buying a scrub company, things like that, investing in um, a medical practice, even things like buying a home and figuring out what kind of mortgage I want. Like a lot of that information was provided to me during my training. So I feel like it makes me a more well-rounded person because unfortunately in medicine, it's kind of delayed evolution because you're so focused on doing your routine of 
going to the hospital, coming home, sleeping, and things like that. And you don't get to experience a lot of those world, real world experiences. A lot of your peers from undergrad are experiencing in their 20s. You're busy taking call and saving lives, you know? So you may be behind a lot of your financial planning because of that. Now, I like how you just casually said, yeah, it helped with buying a home and buying a scrub company. It's like, wait a minute, record scratch. <laughs> they, what you've laid out demonstrates a quote that I had heard. I don't know the name of the person, but the quote was, what you do outside of medicine helps better define your identity within medicine. And so from what I got from that, it behooves us greatly to have a life outside of medicine um, because then you're able to come to medicine with a, a better focus and recognize that it's not going to fulfill everything you want in life. Uh, you you then have a place for, for all of your passions and your interests. And you don't expect medicine to fill everything because we know it won't. Regarding that scrub company, how did that opportunity come about? And then what made you say, yeah, I want to, I want to try that? So it was kind of like, you know, being in the right place, right location, knowing the right people. So um, a peer who I met through the National Medical Association and some social media was opening a new practice in Houston. And it was going to be a practice where she was going to practice, but there's going to be additional office spaces, an MRI, MRI machine, a focus on wellness, the, all those kinds of things. So I ended up investing in her medical practice there. And then shoot down another, whatever, eight, 10 months later, there's this opportunity for a few of us to buy a scrub company in Houston as well. A person was you know, looking to either just shut it down or close it down. So we were able to, you know, a group of us able to put in some money and buy the scrub company and do some renovations. We've created an online presence for it. So that's kind of our next thing that we're working on right now, because again, medicine is great, but there's so many other areas where you can get involved. Like People are spending, like I talked to some of my colleagues, some of my peers, and they go and they buy, you know, three new sets of scrubs a month because they want to be fashionable at work, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So that was like an investment opportunity that came up because of my previous investment and connection to another minority physician. So it kind of worked out, you know, having those right, those connections initially from the NMA, the National Medical Association, which it is a great way to network and make connections and make these business connections out and creating adult lifelong friendships as well. So yeah, so we just kind of reopened in July and our online link came out a few weeks later. So we're just working on getting some more exposure and marketing and getting the practice going. It's called Statement Scrubs, by the way. And there's a physical store located in Houston and we also have an online link. Oh, love it. Love it. Nice plug for Statement Scrubs. The NBA, when it comes to its use, you're like, well, you know, indirectly it has benefits, but I think the value really stands out in that you've done a ton of networking and you've also highlighted the National Medical Association. I think it's key. Many of us uh, Black physicians, we don't have people in the family who are doctors that we can lean on when we have questions or when we need 
uh, support or advice. And so these organizations, NMA is crucial. And to be able to network and, and, and know how to position yourself and know what you need to do to get to where you need to go, because you don't know what you don't know. And in networking, it comes out what you need to know. And so I would like for all of us to acknowledge that, yeah, you might not have a a family of doctors, but through this organization, you have a family of doctors, okay? (laughs) It's just a matter of leveraging that organization because it's incredible. And so you've, you've leveraged that and then through it was exposed to this incredible opportunity. I know that you are also a part of your uh, state organization, right? Yeah, um, as a member of the Arizona Society of Anesthesiologists, um, I joined, you know, fairly early within the six months of being an attendant. It really opened my eyes to a lot of the things that affects medicine, which unfortunately you don't get a good exposure to in medical school. And depending on, you know, who your mentors are and your attendants are, unlikely to get that exposure in residency as well. But again, connect with these politicians and these lawmakers to make laws. Again, we see how things are changing in the country with Roe versus Wade being overturned. You see how some states are instituting different changes and punishments and things like that. And again, if you don't have a seat at the table, you're not going to be involved. If you don't have those connections to reach out to your lawmakers, Mm -hmm. you're not going to be able to plead your case. Luckily for us, for the most part, anesthesia is a little bit less political um, in terms of most things. But again, like we mentioned earlier, the model of our practice is, you know, changing over time as well. It's very important to be involved in your state organizations. Um, I cannot stress that enough. Um, And then even being on the society, just, you know, manage our money. Like, do we put our money in this money market? Do we keep it in this check-in because we're going to move this amount of money in the next six months for our conference, you know, for these um, lobbying efforts or for this or for that? So even being part of that and being on the financial investment committee within the AZSA, I learned about, you know, what as a large organization, a nonprofit, how do how do we, you know, navigate through the financial fields and world as well to better serve our organization, the dues that our members pay to us, you know, because it's more than just getting people to speak. There's a lot of things that go on. It sounds kind of funny, but like, you know, planning events, like that's a big part of medicine. And, you know, we do put on events for certain political candidates because they, you know, want to keep, you know, us with a care team model. They believe in direct medical supervision or medical direction versus medical supervision, things like that. So we have to, you know, get our voices out there and You can be unhappy with the ASA on the national level, but a lot of these changes happen on the state level, as you can see how certain states practice differently. You have a lot to say about this topic because you're involved. You make it a priority to know what is happening so that you can then enforce the changes you would like to see with the agency that you have. The comment that you made surrounding anesthesiology not being as political, I mean, we know on the ground is a lot being said. It's intensely political. However, when it comes to the 
having a unified voice on a on the public level, it's not as loud as other groups who provide anesthesia, right? And so I think many anesthesiologists are saying, you know, us being polite and quiet has worked towards our peril. And we need to now galvanize and really speak up for our field and what it means to be a anesthesiologist. Um, Exactly. And to be involved politically and to say, you know, you think the best medical care provided for anesthesia involves, you know, a care team model where anesthesiologist is actively involved in the medical management of the patients um, does not mean you don't think that this nurse anesthetist is a good provider or they, you know, do, do good work. And it shouldn't be something that causes stress at your job because you do work with CRNAs. And I feel that's a fear for a lot of um, anesthesiologists out there especially in private practice, because they're just like, you know, if we lose our CRNAs, we can't run our group. Um, There's nothing wrong with, you know, having a stance for our our field of medicine, but still working, you know, at your job in a collegial fashion with with the CRNAs. Like care is best when we have an MD anesthesiologist involved in the care. Um, and that studies are out there that shows that and proves that. And, and I think they're linked to that is a lot of educating the public on the differences because there has been such a wide use of the word provider and it just whitewashes everybody, regardless of the level of training. You don't know who you're getting if you just say provider, which is why many folks, and, and I advocate too, being specific about this is a physician this is a nurse, this is a nurse practitioner, et cetera, to really reflect the level of training that is behind the care the patient is receiving. Uh, but I do oh, appreciate yeah. you infusing that because it's, it's very much relevant to what a lot of, a lot of these hospitals, like I mentioned, you have your mid-level providers who are getting these leadership degrees and are the ones making decisions um, about who practices at the hospital and what model is there. So again, if you have concerns about the practice model at your hospital or a job you're gonna take, that's where you need to get involved because again, having a seat at the table makes your voice seen because you have committees and you have people that are not in our field. Even some of the surgeons don't really understand some of the integrates of you know taking care of patients and provide the anesthesia because they see only a certain side of it. So they may vote a certain way for whatever because it gives them more block time or whatever. And somebody needs to be there representing us. And if your CMO and CEO are both have nurses nurse backgrounds, you know, who are they going to favor? Mm-hmm. So that's really important. That's my last point on that. I really appreciate that because, again, that's a driver for creating this podcast. Nobody knows what anesthesiologists do. We work side by side, shoulder to shoulder, and still don't know. And because of that, we unfortunately would bear the short end of the stick. And that's also why we get blamed because it's like, it must be you because it wasn't me. And I don't know what you do, but I'm going to say it's you, you know? (laughs) So thank you. That really speaks to the heart of why we're doing this to help demystify the field. Uh, So 
Again, Dr. DaCosta, thank you so much. I'll offer you the floor if there's any sort of parting words. You gave some great parting words already, but if there's anything burning that wasn't brought up that you'd like to share. Don't let your career, your job run your life because it's going to provide you know, joy for you. It's part of your identity, but it's not everything. Mm-hmm. And I would say even with, you know, the challenges in our field and, you know, changing jobs in the first five years, I am so happy for the experiences that I've learned from my first job, from my different training institutions, all of that. Um, I would definitely, if I do it over again, I would definitely still pick anesthesiology. I think it's a great field. It's a plug. I think medicine's great, but I love being an anesthesiologist. Mm. And with that, we will conclude the episode. Thank you, Dr. DaCosta. Thank you very much, Dr. Peterson. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Sivo Sisters. If you love this episode as much as I did, head on over and rate and subscribe so you don't miss out. New episodes drop every week on a Monday because we all can use a little something, something to get us through the week. Am I right? I'd love to hear more from you on the topics that you want to hear. So let me know in the comments. This is Dr. Peterson signing off. See you next time.